0: We'd have so.
1: read this verse last week in the message, but it's First Peter 1. It says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Amen? Amen. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Well, welcome to Northside. We're glad that you're here. Before you're seated, take a moment and welcome those around you. All right, you may return to your seats, and you may be seated. Well, good morning. We're glad that you're here. Due to some uh, traveling with spring break, this morning we have an all hymns Sunday. It's good to do that sometimes, and so um, all hymns, so we started by singing about the blood, and Then we're going to sing at Calvary and the way of the cross leads home uh, in just a few minutes. Well, good morning. Welcome to Northside. We're glad that you're here. If this is your first time with us or maybe first time in a long time, we're glad that you're here. We would appreciate if you would let us know that this is your first time. You can do that a couple different ways. Um, There's a QR code inside the bulletin. You can scan that, fill out some information online, or um, there's a connect card out in the uh, foyer that you can fill out when um, you leave. And so we're thankful that you're here today. want to draw your attention to the bulletin. Um, we'll go over some other announcements at the end of the service. But our Easter services next week, right? We have our Good Friday service. Actually, not next week, this week. We have our Good Friday service on Friday at 7. That's in here in the sanctuary. Um, that takes anywhere from 30 to 40 minutes. And then we have our sunrise service. Uh, we meet right out here in the parking lot, obviously that's weather pending, we're praying it's going to be a beautiful uh, Easter Sunday, but that is around seven ten. the sun will rise just a few minutes after seven ten, but we'll get started right around then, and then Easter service sun service will be at 10-30 uh, right here in the sanctuary as well. So um, I'm going to throw just a little bit of a curveball, Curtis, to give you just a couple more minutes to rest. Um, this will be a surprise to some of you, but to some of you it will not be. So we just, we just sang about the, the blood of the Lamb. We just read scripture that talks about the Lamb. And so if you're in David's class on Sunday nights, you know this question's coming. And you guys have been talking about these things and looking at them, trying to really understand the Old Testament and how it points to and helps us better understand the New Testament. And so in the Jewish calendar, today would be Lamb Selection Day. It's the day that they would select the lamb, right? And so David has posed a question to those of you who are in the group me chat as to why is Jesus your lamb? Why is Jesus your lamb? And so because we're singing hymns today and they're a little bit shorter, uh, we got a little bit of time in the service. So I'm going to ask if a couple of you, uh, in a very brief answer, just want to stand up. And if you're really loud, you can just do it from where you are. Why is Jesus your lamb? Any takers, if not there we go. All right. He's the only perfect sacrifice that was given for us. Good. Anybody else? Why is Jesus your lamb? Fay, real loud. All right, so he fits that criteria—faultless, blameless, perfect—and so he took our place. Good. Why is Jesus your lamb? Anybody else? Eli. All right, he's the one that took sin away from us, so that we did not have to die. Right, meeting that that penalty, taking the penalty for us. Samuel. All right, because Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. And if you're like, man, what does propitiation mean? Samuel will tell you afterwards. But he goes, Samuel, I like it. Somebody, anybody else back there? Anybody else? Why is Jesus your lamb? And I say, David, you want to tie that up? let's pray. Father, we thank you for being that perfect lamb. Jesus, you came, and Father, you sent Jesus to die for us. And God, you did choose us. And Lord, we know that you were the one who died for us. In just a moment, we're going to watch a video, Lord, on Annie Armstrong and Father, you've chosen us and we are yours. And as we're going to talk about this morning, we have been set apart, set apart from sin and to be offered unto God. And if we're set apart from sin and offered unto God, then our lives are going to look differently as we live differently. And part of that means we're going to be people who want to go tell others about the Lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world. So, Father, help us to see as we go into this week. Day by day, leading up to the time that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That this is a story unlike any other story. Because this is about God, your redeeming man. For your own people. So Father, we thank you for that. and Help us to be the, the kind of people that are so captivated and changed by that, that we go tell others about Jesus. Because Fathers, we're going to see in this video... You don't have to go outside of North America to see that there is lostness that surrounds us. That there is, as we're going to see in this video, little to no access to the gospel in places here in North America. So Father, help us to go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Check out this video and then we'll pray again.
2: Newfoundland is called the rock because life here is hard. We're an island off the east coast of Canada, and from a, a spiritual perspective, it's mind boggling how little churches there are. You know, my, my parents are from Newfoundland, my whole heritage is from here, and so we moved back uh, to Newfoundland because it's a fantastic place to plant a church. When I first came to Newfoundland, I remember sitting on my couch praying and just feeling so sad that people that I didn't even know. (laughs) I hadn't even met them yet, but they had no chance to hear the gospel. We are here in Kilbride, and there's a lot of young families here. And in 1892, the the last church existed in Kilbride. It burnt down in 1892. Uh, And so the gospel hasn't been preached here in 128 years. And so we set out to have people in our home, because there's a term called CFA, come from away. If you're born on the mainland or anywhere else but Newfoundland and you move here, you will always be known as a come from away. So we had to adjust our mindset and say, we are moving to Newfoundland and we are going to let God work. We know that that's probably going to be a long process. We're seeing the gospel transforming people. But still, when we are gathering on Sundays, I'm always reminded of how outnumbered we are. If I were to get in a car and drive two hours south, you won't find a single Bible-preaching, gospel-centered evangelical church. And so, it's the rock, because it's, it's very hard to plant seeds here. But Lord, <laughs> here I am, send me.
3: If
1: you have not given yet to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, there are envelopes um, in the pew. Our goal is $7,500, and to date we have raised just a little north of 3900 So if you've not given, please give. The need is great. 128 years since the gospel had been preached in that particular area. And because of our North American missionaries, the gospel is now being preached there. So pray. Give and be willing to go. Let's pray and then we'll continue to worship together. Father, here, here we are. Use us, O oh God. Here we are. Send us, O oh God. May we be a people who have been made right with you, who've been given new life, who've been set apart as holy who have been adopted as sons and daughters, that's who we are. And out of who we are, oh God, we do what we do. We live differently. We live set apart in this world and in this culture. We use our our money, we use our time differently than unbelievers would because we have been forever changed because of Jesus Christ. So Father, as we sing, as we continue just to draw our Attention to the cross, to Jesus, your being that lamb, the sacrifice for us. Stir within our hearts, oh God, we pray. Make us more like Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you stand? Let's continue to worship together. Thank you, Tracy, thank you choir. All right, at this time, our youngest kiddos are going to make their way to children's church. Our older group, uh, you are going to remain in here with us. So our K through second grade, you're going to remain in here with us. If everybody else will take their Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter six. First Corinthians chapter six. In the last three weeks, we have looked at two acts of God that occur at the beginning of our Christian lives. We've looked at regeneration, the work of God by which we are given life, we're born again, and the work of justification, whereby God declares us righteous. These are two acts that God does. Then in between those, we studied conversion, Right, our response to God's call, to God's work of regeneration, we are to repent, turn from our sins, and to believe upon Jesus. Today we come to another aspect of salvation. That is our sanctification. Again, we're in this study in salvation looking at some of these big words that the Bible uses, that we use, wanting to make sure that we understand them and how they impact our 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Your sanctification. So what is that word sanctification or sanctified? What does it mean? Well, the Greek word is hagiato. It simply means to make holy. It means to make holy. In the scriptures, whether it's used of people or of objects, For example, in the Old Testament, when you think about the the priestly garments that the priests wore, they they were holy, they were to be set apart. You were to take this person or this object and it was set apart from ordinary use. It became holy, it became sacred. It is to be devoted entirely unto God. So to be sanctified means that you are set apart from sin, set apart from sin, and are are to be offered up unto God. That's what the word, if we're just going to boil it down, means to be sanctified. And as we think about sanctification, I want to do so in three terms that I hope you find helpful. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're just going to use these verses with the first point, then we're going to get to some other verses for the second and third point. But would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's word? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You may be seated. I want us to think about... Sanctification, three different terms to help us. The first term is positional. Positional or positionally. So again, if you look at the verses that we just read, notice the language. Paul, speaking inspired of the Holy Spirit, says, Neither the, and then he lists all sorts of sins. He he lists a lot of sins here. Now understand, this isn't the full catalog of sins. If you were to list more sins, we would have just had to keep reading. Other sins are listed in the scriptures. But he's saying, this is who you were. This is how you lived your life. And if you live your life this way, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But notice what he says in verse 11. And such were some of you. In other words, you were this. You were one of these. You were living in sin. Such were some of you. But... But you were washed, you were cleansed, your sins were forgiven. You were sanctified, you were justified, right? We talked about that last week. You were declared righteous, a one-time act. This is who you are. Through Jesus, you are righteous, right? You are holy before God. Your guilt has been forgiven. But notice what he says, after washed and before justified. He says you were sanctified. In other words, God takes the sinner and he declares you holy. God sets you apart. So when you think about sin, and when we think about sanctification, we're talking about being set apart from sin. You need to understand that in Christ, you are holy. You're set apart. You have been saved from the penalty of sin. You were under the condemnation of God, under the wrath of God. You deserved hell, but God in His grace rescues us from that, redeems us, buys us back through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He declares you righteous, you're righteous, and then He says, and you're holy. You're holy. So if you've given your life to Jesus and you say, Pastor, who am I? You are right with God and you are set apart as holy. Holy. You are holy positionally. And now the rest of your life, you are to live out this holy life. So positionally, you are holy. The second word is final. Final. This speaks of a future sanctification. We call this the doctrine of glorification. And we'll get there in a couple weeks. So here's the reality. And stick with me. Here's the reality. You have been saved from the penalty of sin. Say amen. Amen. You are not under the condemnation of God anymore through Jesus. One day, one day you will be saved from the presence of sin. Can I get an amen? amen? One day you will no longer sin, but you are not there yet. One day, though, we're longing for that final sanctification where sin no longer remains. But hear me. You will not reach perfection in this life. Now, some teach that, and I think they teach that incorrectly. You will not reach a state of sinless perfection. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, so to say, hey, I have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 1 John 3.2, Beloved, we are God's children now. Who are you? Well, you're God's child now. That's adoption. We're going to see that next week. We are God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. When Jesus appears, we're going to be like Jesus. And does Jesus have sin within him? No. He's the sinless lamb of God. There's perfection. And so one day we'll be like him. But hear me, we're not there yet, which means there are no perfect Christians. There are no perfect churches, which means you and I are for the rest of our days on this planet to live and to walk in repentance and faith. The church is not a country club. She is a hospital for sinners, The church is where sinners come and are forever changed through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the world calls you and I hypocrites. We're all hypocrites in the sense of we claim the name of Jesus and yet we still sin. Now, we need to be consistent more often in following Jesus than not, but you are not perfect. And the world is wrong and misunderstood to think that because you've given your life to Jesus, now suddenly the church ought to be perfect and never struggle with sin. That's not biblical. You are set apart. You are holy. That's the past. That's what Jesus has done for you. One day, finally, there will be no sin. But you're here in the present. And that's the third word. And it's the word progressive. Progressive or ongoing Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 14. The Apostle Paul spends the first five and a half chapters, chapter 5 and in the beginning of chapter 6, and he's talking about who you are. Who you are apart from Jesus Christ, you're a sinner. Who you are in Christ, you've been justified. Right? How Jesus changes us and what that looks like. He's talking about who you are. That's what he says in verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves. Chapter 6, verse 11. How are you to consider yourselves? Dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. Who are you? Say, dead to sin. Who are you? Say, alive in Christ. That's who you are. If you've given your life to Jesus, that is written over you. Dead to sin and alive in Christ. Hear me. Who you are. Always precedes what you do. It's why Paul has spent all of these chapters talking about who you are. He does the same thing in Ephesians, if you remember back to our study there. The first three chapters, who you are in Christ. And then finally he gets to, okay, now this is how you live your life. He doesn't flip it. If you flip it, you're going to be confused and it's going to be hard to live the Christian life. Who you are shapes how we live. And so what does he say in verse 12? Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Now hear me. If sin no longer remains in the person who's dead to sin and alive to Christ, then Paul doesn't have to write this verse. He says, therefore, in light of what I've said, don't let sin what? Reign. The reality is Sin remains. You're still in the flesh. That's why Paul says in chapter 7, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I often do. Why? Because we still wrestle against sin and the flesh. But he says, don't let it reign. Don't let it have dominion over you. Why? Because you're dead to sin and alive to Christ. You have been set apart from sin. So when we think about sanctification, you are positionally, you're declared set apart, holy. We know final Ultimate, right, sanctification is coming in which there will be no more sin. But in this life, once you give your life to Jesus, the rest of your life is spent becoming more and more and more like Jesus. Sanctification is a progressive work of God and man. It is progressive in that it is present and ongoing yes and amen you've been saved from the penalty of sin yes and amen one day you will be saved from the presence of sin currently you are being saved from the power of sin so that through the indwelling of the holy spirit sin doesn't have to have dominion over you sin no longer rules and reigns in you it is a progressive work of god and man. I want to spend a few minutes and I want us to think about this. And I don't want you to confuse this with regeneration or justification, which I believe are works of God. But sanctification is a work of God and we cooperate with God in that work. Now listen, I believe God's work is primary. Sanctification isn't dependent upon us. Apart from regeneration, we're dead and can't become more like Jesus. Apart from justification, apart from God saying, I'm declaring you right, you and I would think, well, man, I can do all of these things, and then I'll be made right with God. And then we're saved by works. So we need regeneration. We need justification. And then once we experience those and understand those, we come to the point where we say, okay, Jesus, I want to be more like you, and I believe, God, your work has to be primary. God, God's work is primary. In other words, it's not dependent upon us, but hear me, God has not chosen to do the work of sanctification without us. I've said this many times, you will not accidentally become more like Jesus. Now God, in His sovereignty, could have made it so. He could have made it to when you gave your life to Him, boom, sin is eradicated and you are perfect. And He didn't. He didn't. And so we're ultimately dependent upon God to become more like Jesus. But then God says, okay, now you're going to cooperate in this work. So I want us to think about this in two ways. I've given you three terms, and now I want to think about sanctification, God's work and our work as we cooperate in two ways. I want to think about it in the active work in sanctification and the passive work in sanctification. So let's start with the passive work. The passive work means we are depending upon God to do the work. God change me. God make me more like your son. God convict my son or daughter who made a profession of faith, but they've walked away from you. Like we're calling out to God, asking him to do the work. Right? God empowers this work. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13: for it is God who works in you, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So that is the passive. That in our sanctification, there's a sense in which we're passive and God is changing us and making us more like his son. But then there is the active sense in sanctification. And that is, we seek to obey. We seek to follow. We seek to trust in Jesus. Paul says this right here in Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Look at it. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members. He's saying to you, don't you present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but rather you are to present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and you are to present your members to God as instruments for righteousness. That's your work. You are to present, you are to offer, but then look what he says in verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What does that mean? You're not under law, but you're under grace. In the law, God shows us his righteousness. These are my commands, These are how you, this is the way you are to live. But in that, you see your inability to do it you can't measure up you can't keep the law hear me the law shows you your sin shows you the righteousness of God but the law does not give you the ability to keep it so you're not under law you're now under grace because in grace through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus through the Holy Spirit in you you are now empowered and enabled to keep the law of God so God's work by grace and then he says to us we are to present ourselves unto him let me just give you several scripture philippians chapter 2 verse 12 this came right before verse 13 which says for it is god who works in you says this work out your own salvation with fear and trembling romans 6 right let not sin reign do not present your members to sin but present yourselves to god romans 12 one, present your bodies as a living sacrifice Colossians 3.5, put to death what is earthly in you. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Ephesians 4 says, put off your old self, put on the new self. 1 Peter 2.11 says, you are to abstain from the passions of the flesh. 1 Peter 3.15, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. God, hear me, is at work in us making us more like his son and we respond to that work by seeking after jesus and seeking after the things that will make us more like him there's a story told of a young girl who accepted christ as her savior she applied for church membership she was interviewed by a deacon and the deacon asked her were you a sinner before you received the lord jesus into your life yes sir she replied well are you still a sinner the little girl said, to tell you the truth, I feel I'm a greater sinner than ever. So the gentleman said, then what real change have you experienced? The girl replied, I don't quite know how to explain it, she said, except I used to be a sinner running after sin. Now that I am saved, I'm a sinner running away from sin. Jesus saves us. Jesus declares us holy. And Jesus says, now you live out that set-apart holy life. I'm going to do the work, but you need to stop running towards sin, and you have to start running away from sin. So there is a passive and an active element to our sanctification. Now, what happens, because we're so good at doing this, what happens if we overemphasize one and neglect the other? Because we find ways to do that. Well, what happens if you overemphasize God's part and neglect your own, neglect the graces that God has given you, reading the word and spending time with brothers and sisters and worshiping and sitting under the preaching of God, that we neglect those things. What happens? Well, you become lazy and you let your guard down. You say, man, God's all powerful. God's got this. He can save me from any temptation. He'll not let me be tempted beyond anything that, that I can handle. And so you begin to put yourself in places you don't need to be thinking hey God's got this I'm gonna just let my guard down whether whatever the addiction whatever the sin may be and you're putting yourself in this situation and in that moment you don't trust God you just give in to sin you become lazy you're too passive you're not seeking and running after Jesus but what happens if we overemphasize our part and neglect God's work well then we become proud and arrogant Look at me. Look how righteous I am. Look what I'm doing. Look how good I am. Look at all these things that I'm achieving. And now we're trusting in ourselves rather than the work of God. So let me ask you a question. Who are you? Who are you? Well, according to Scripture, you have been saved from the penalty of sin. You are set apart as holy. Who are you? One day you will be saved from the presence of sin. You will be holy. And right now you are being saved from the power and the practice of sin. You can live a life set apart from sin and set apart unto God. Wayne Grudem, in his chapter on sanctification, uh, makes a really good point when he says there are two things that a Christian can never say when it comes to this issue of sanctification. So two things as a Christian, as one who follows Jesus, you identify with Christ. Christ is in you and you are in Christ. Two things that you can never say. Number one, you can never say, I'm completely free from sin. You can never say that. Not not as long as you're in this mortal body. Which means every single one of us that walked in here this morning, every one of you watching online, there is sin As a follower of Jesus, there is sin in your life that must constantly be confessed, repented of, and put to death because you will never be perfect in this life. Secondly, the second thing that a Christian can never say is this, this sin has defeated me. This sin has defeated me. This sin has mastered me. There is no way to overcome this sin because Paul says in verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you. So maybe you walked in thinking, I have no sin to turn and repent of. And now you've just heard, yes, you do. Or maybe you came in with the other mentality, this sin has conquered me and there is no hope in Jesus. To which I would say, yes, there is hope in Jesus confess that sin come to Jesus just understand that doesn't mean poof it's gone Satan's going to keep coming we keep walking so this morning everyone has a sin problem you have a sin problem I have a sin problem we have a sin problem because we have a heart problem we're all worshiping something we were created to worship God wants us worshiping him alone Satan wants us worshiping anything but God alone. And I would think he's even okay with worshiping God as long as you add a couple other things that you're also worshiping. Just put those things up there with God and you're fine because your allegiance will be divided. Some of you in this room, maybe some of you watching online, you have rejected Jesus. You've rejected Jesus. You have chosen to live in your sin, to be mastered and enslaved to your sin. What do you need to do this morning? You need to repent. You need to repent of the sin. You are under the condemnation of Jesus. And 1 Corinthians 6, you are presently those who are living in these things. You need to repent. You need to seek the forgiveness that only Jesus can offer. You need the eternal life that only Jesus can offer. So right where you are, driving down the road or sitting in this room, right now in your heart, just cry out, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Take my sin Forgive me of my sin. I deserve hell. But the Bible says that if I would call upon your name, everyone will be saved. And I'm calling upon your name right now to save me as I turn to you. Now, if that's not you, if you have not rejected Jesus, then that means you have received Jesus. If you're not dead, that means you're alive because there's only two categories, right? You're dead or you're alive. You've rejected Jesus or you have received Jesus and he is Lord and Savior of your life life so to those of us who have received Jesus you've repented of your sins you've believed upon him you are saved and yet each of us walked in this room with sin maybe it was a sin you committed 30 minutes before you walked in maybe it was a sin you committed last night maybe you are enslaved to that sin Or maybe you're just still struggling with the same sin over and over, and you've given your life to Jesus. You're not one that's trying to twist Scripture to say it's not a sin. Like, you know, this is a sin, and this sin is in my life. Maybe it's mastered me. Maybe it's just there. But you know it's there. And maybe you're asking the question, why? Why? didn't God do this all differently? Why didn't God make me to no longer sin when I gave my life to Jesus. Because hear me, He could have. And one day He will. In an instant, when you see Jesus, you will be like Him. Your sin is eradicated, it's gone. That day's coming. So why didn't He do it now? Why do we have to keep fighting and wrestling against sin? Because He could have done it differently. So why? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I just want to read a couple verses before we pray. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7. Verses that you're familiar with. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Listen, God is the potter and you are the clay. And God, his fashioned you and designed you and he's declared you holy and set apart and right with him it's a beautiful masterpiece and he's still fashioning you and shaping you into the the pottery he wants you to be but we have this treasure in jars of clay look at verse 8 we are afflicted in every way but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair persecuted but not forsaken Struck down, but not destroyed. Now listen, if if I could rewrite this, I would just take all of that out. Like, I don't want to be afflicted nor crushed. I don't want to be perplexed or driven to despair. I don't want to be persecuted. Certainly don't want to be forsaken, but would rather not be persecuted. I don't want to be struck down. Thank goodness I'm not destroyed, but I would rather not even be struck down. Like, why couldn't we? Jesus, you're my Savior, I'm all in, and suddenly no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sin, just this easy, wonderful life that we get to live. Because what would happen if God did that, as long as we still lived in this sinful world? Somehow you would find a way to start patting yourself on the back. Like I've done this, like I reached perfection. Because you would still have a sin nature, and sin would still surround you. But now when we see Jesus, all sin will be eradicated. Like forever and ever, in the new heavens and the new earth, that day's coming, but I skipped the verse and I did it intentionally. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Hear me, the power belongs to God. God wants the glory from your life he will squeeze every ounce of glory out of your life so he receives the glory you say that's narcissistic no he's god he's the only one who could have that claim he's the only perfect one he's worthy of your praise he's worthy of your honor and so he's saying listen the surpassing power belongs to me question when do you go to the gas station And don't say because you want to get a snack or a drink. That defeats the illustration. When do you go to the gas station? When you need gas. Nobody, especially with gas prices, is just pointing to the gas station for fun just to fill up gas. You go to the gas station when you need gas. God the Father wants us to live our lives fully dependent upon him. (coughs) Fully dependent upon him. Not on ourselves. The power belongs to Him. He will get the glory one way or the other. And so, yes, you're wrestling with sin. And so did the Apostle Paul. He went, Lord, take this from me. Take this from me. Take this thorn in the flesh. And what did He say? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect and your weakness anybody in this room weak pastor is anybody in this room struggling with sin we keep coming to the lord jesus we keep running after jesus we keep saying god you do the work in me and as you're doing the work in me i'm going to keep coming back to these graces that you've given me Because when I'm in your word and when I'm on my knees and when I'm gathered around the body of Christ and when I allow people to speak into my life, when I've got a Barnabas, when I've got an encourager, but when I've got a Nathan who will call me and call my sin out and call me to repentance, I'm better when these people are in my life. I I need the body of Christ. I need these things that you've given me. So hear me, church, sin remains, yes, but you don't have to let it rain don't have to let it rain so here's what I want you to do I want you to identify your sin this morning right now identify it could be a sexual sin could be alcohol could be gossip could be lying could be stealing could be drugs could be hatred could be bitterness could be uh, anxiety just controlled you could be idolatry, could be pride, could be a lack of faith, a lack of zeal for God and His Word, for, for prayer, maybe a lack of zeal for the bride, the church. Maybe you're failing to love your neighbor. Identify your sin. And then get to work putting that sin to death and pursuing the things of God. And know that the power of belongs to God and not to you and he has never failed and he won't fail now so keep coming to the Lord knowing that the victory that you want has already been given to you in Jesus Christ you're already holy and one day you will be completely holy And he's given you all you need to actually walk in that holiness, to live that set-apart life from our culture. He's already given you all that you need for that. So let's just lean into him. Ask him to change us. And then let's put ourselves in a position where we can hear from him and be used by him. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? I'm going to ask Miss Ann to come. She's just going to play some instrumental music on the piano. You're just going to remain seated. I'm just going to give you a couple minutes just to let the Lord Jesus work in your heart to deal with you, to show you your sin, to bring you to a place of repentance. Not of excusing that sin or justifying that sin, but just confessing it, repenting of it, and just saying, Lord Jesus, you desire for me to be holy. You want me to be a holy husband? You want me to be a holy wife, a holy father, a holy mother? Just a holy follower of jesus christ but i cannot be that apart from you i won't want to be that apart from your work in me this morning know who you are and then know that you can live that out in a life that offers your body and your instruments romans 6 says up to god and unto righteousness father god help your people Help your people. Help that person who is enslaved to sin. Help that individual who just keeps struggling with sin. Help the individual who's sitting there right now, maybe thinking, man, I can't identify a sin in my life. Lord, help them. Show them their sin. And then, God, we pray that you would change us God as followers of Jesus Christ there's probably not a person in this room who would say hey I don't want to be a better wife or I don't want to be a more faithful father or do we desire but as we say with Paul man those things that we ought to do we don't and those very things that we shouldn't do and don't really want to do we just keep finding ourselves running to those things Oh God, help your people so that we can live a set apart, sanctified, different world. We'll never be perfect, but God help us to live consistently so that as people see God our works, as people see that we don't give ourselves to certain things and we give ourselves to other things that the world doesn't give themselves to. Father, may they see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Oh God, take and receive the glory that is through your name, from your people, from our hearts, from our lips. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Miss Anne plays, you just spend a couple minutes in prayer. Father, this week as we lead up to Easter, as maybe there will be people that we work with, that we live next door to, that maybe we spend a week of vacation with, that they, they'll have questions. They, they won't know what Easter really is all about. Oh God, may they see Jesus in us this week. And the way we love and the way we show kindness and the way we handle ourselves, conduct ourselves. Father, may they see Jesus in the midst of our suffering that we're holding fast to Jesus. God, may they see your grace and your power in the midst of our weakness. May we point as many people as we can to the name of Jesus. Let me ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just draw your attention to a couple things Um, in the bulletin. Of course, our Easter services coming up. We have no service tonight, nothing on Wednesday night. So just make note of that, bridging the gap. We have another opportunity to serve April 22nd. But we had a great time serving last time. If you weren't a part of that or want to do it again, please sign up so we can let them know how many people that we're bringing. You see uh, our cake auction theme, Home Sweet Home. um, That information is in there. Dates to remember. Don't forget about Annie Armstrong Easter offering. And let me draw your attention to May 7th, which will be Next Gen Sunday. Next Generation Sunday. What does that mean? Well, our youth are going to teach Sunday school. Our youth are going to lead worship that morning. But then our Praise Makers Choir has been working on a, it's like 13, 14 minutes, a mini musical. And so our kids choir, they're going to sing that morning as well. So that's why we're calling it. It's not a Youth Sunday, but it's a Next Gen Sunday when you're going to see the next generation use their gifts and their talents to bring glory and honor to God. So put that on your calendar, May 7th, you do not want to miss that. All right, if you will stand, Chris is the deacon of the week. He will close us with the word of prayer. Right. Oh, thank you. We're, I had a note and I forgot. Right. We're going to put the cross up right after the service. So, if you will please help get the cross, it's on the other side of the administration building. So, probably six to seven men. Just head that way. Wait till you have enough men, and then you'll bring it straight into sanctuary. Now you can pray. That was an important announcement.
3: I was thinking about the earlier question about why Jesus is my lamb. And First Peter one says he was without spot or blemish, and he was foreknown or chosen from the foundation of the world. And then Revelation thirteen eight says that he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So if he is God's choice for it to be the lamb, how could he be? How could my choice be anything other other than that? Let us pray. Definitely, Father, thank you for uh, sanctification, Lord. Thank you for uh, conforming us to the image of your Son. I pray you'd give us a a desire to pursue holiness uh, and to to, um, battle against the remaining sin that remains in our life. As we look forward to the day, we will be fully delivered from that sin, Lord. In the meantime, uh, we pray you'd uh, help us to aid each other in this church in our sanctification as we grow. And I pray you'd uh, keep us safe this week, this Passion Week, and bring us back. Uh, for Good Friday and uh, a special remembrance of your resurrection. We ask these things according to your will in Jesus' name. Amen.